Amen. Good morning to you, church. Isn't it great to gather together and just be excited about our faith? We have much to celebrate, much to worship our Lord for. Now listen, I do want us to take a moment uh, and remember some uh, brothers and sisters in Christ across our country that are finding today to be a very, very difficult day uh, to worship the Lord. Uh, mostly because, you know, they've experienced tragedy in the last week or so. You know, there's often uh, some particular concern that's, ha- that's uh, gathering the national or world attention and we can't stop and pray for everything that comes along the way. But there have been a couple of things that have happened of late that I want us to, before I get into the message today, I just, I just feel led to pray over. Uh, one, as you're aware, uh, through the news, we've seen the, the shooting that happened at Covenant Christian School in Nashville, uh, Tennessee. Six victims uh, were, that lost their lives in that tragedy. Uh, three of the victims were, were school age. They were children in that school. Um, one of which was the daughter of the pastor of the church that, that, that had the school. And uh, we want to re- remember them. And also, um, tornadoes have been afflicting our nation quite a bit. Um, uh, Midwest, South, we're seeing it. Or at least eight states have been affected by it. Uh, Jennifer has some dear friends from her high school days that live in Wynn, Arkansas, which was one of the most devastated areas. Their, their, that family uh, lost, uh, had some damage to property. Their home church, the Wynn Baptist Church, uh, suffered significant damage, and a lot of churches uh, have, have been afflict, afflicted uh, by this, these sets of tornadoes. And so there are going to be some that are going to gather to worship in places where they don't have a roof over their head. Uh, but they're going to gather anyway uh, because they trust and believe in the Lord. So can we just pause for a moment and let's just ask the Lord to be uh, with these that are suffering right now. Lord, my heart is filled with joy this morning. Lord, we have so much to celebrate, so much to be grateful for, so much to praise you for. And Lord, even to hear the saints of the Lord in this building today, Lift their voices upon high with hearts filled with joy. and Their voices uh, reverberating through this room because they believe in the King who has come. Their Savior has come. Now, Lord, we know that you've redeemed us. You've made possible our redemption. Forgiveness can be realized. And so, Lord, we thank you that we do have voices to sing. We have a, a message to proclaim. Lord, we have brothers and sisters in Christ that have that same hope, they have that same message, but Lord, they they need an an abundance of your grace and care this morning. We lift up this church family um, that is suffering because of the loss of life, because a a shooter entered into their facilities, and it was just evil what, what, what befell them. And now, Lord, as the nation is trying to sort out the news and People are positioning politically and socially across it all. Lord, we know that there are families that are hurting. There's a church family that's hurting. The people are are concerned. They're afraid. Lord, I I pray that you would encourage them even this morning as they're asking the question, why? That, That, Lord, they would be reminded that you yourself have suffered and that you understand what they're going through. Lord, for these families and churches throughout the Midwest and the South who've suffered loss, 26 lives so far, Lord, lost in recent days because of these tornadoes. Um, And Lord, it's a reminder that this world 
uh, is afflicted because of sin, that creation itself uh, has uh, been twisted because of our rebellion against you. And yet, Lord, you have redeemed a people in the midst of all of this who are going to gather this morning to worship you. And Lord, they're going to be gathering outside of buildings that have been destroyed. And Lord, perhaps they'll be reminded that a church is not its building, it's its people. And that Lord, as they gather and they express their love and worship toward you, that a watching world would observe and see that they do not have their hope in the things of this world, but that their hope is in you. And so, Lord, we just pray for an abundance of your presence and grace to be upon these brothers and sisters in Christ, that through their suffering, you would be magnified, and that the gospel will be proclaimed, and that people will have their hearts pricked, and that they will surrender their all to you. Lord, we ask this, we pray it in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. Grab your Bibles. We're in Matthew chapter 21 today. Uh, This is the beginning of our observance of Holy Week, and uh, this is the second year in a row that we sort of returned to this. We've always focused upon uh, Easter and the the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We do that every Sunday for the most part, but uh, especially so on Easter. But last year, uh, we returned to a tradition that many churches, uh, it seems, have abandoned from time to time, which is observing the journey of Jesus in his last week on earth before he died. And uh, so we've been reflecting upon that. We're going to be walking through this week of passion with Jesus. Uh, We do encourage you to participate along the way. We begin today with Palm Sunday. I'll explain with the Palm uh, Sunday, why that moniker is a part of this a little bit later. Uh, But on Thursday, by the way, we're not having Wednesday activities as we normally do. Those have been moved to, to Thursday. And Thursday, we have our Holy Thursday observance. We'll have a meal together for those of you who've signed up. Uh, we'll also observe the Lord's Supper. And then on Friday, we'll have a Good Friday service in the evening time. And in that service, by the way, we'll, we'll focus primarily upon the death of Jesus, his suffering. Uh, it's, it's a very heavy and somber service. If you came last year, you don't walk away feeling good. You, you walk away with grief and sorrow in your heart. And you reflect upon of the great suffering that Christ bore upon his body, how his body was broken, his body pierced uh, for us. And so we walk away with that in a very dark mood, but also a hopeful mood. Because we know that after Jesus was buried on that Friday, uh, he spent three days in the grave. On that third day, uh, he comes back to life. So we're going to come back after that heavy day on Friday in a worship service. We'll come back really primed to celebrate that our God is not dead, but that He is alive. And so we encourage you to journey with us. A a way that you can do that uh, is to get a hold of a copy of the Mission Accomplished Devotion Book. We passed those out last year. Uh, If you didn't get a copy last year, we do have some available for you. These are daily devotions. Uh, They're simple enough that you can even walk your children through. A two-week set of devotions that begins today and runs for two weeks. Copies of that can be picked up in 1850, which is our our coffee house and bookstore. By the way, if you haven't visited 1850 yet, 
uh, I'm amazed that not everybody has done so. It's been open since, since January, but then I realized we have some folks that, that only come to worship services uh, the, the, or they have a, a community group that meets in this building. They don't have much opportunity to go next door. Maybe they have a, a community group that meets during the week somewhere off campus and they've not been by. Go by and check it out. There's so much over there. Coffee, of course, is available. We have lots of, of resources available for you to check out, some resources to purchase. Uh, in fact, following the service, um, the, the, for about 30 minutes, that place will be open. Go by and see uh, what all is uh, available for you. All right, so let's go to the Sunday, the very Sunday, the last Sunday of Jesus' life on earth before he died. It's the, that, that first, uh, the last Sunday before the first Easter Sunday. And it's the day in which Jesus entered into Jerusalem, and he does so in royal fashion. And our journey is going to begin in Matthew chapter 21, and the first 11 verses of what we're going to read. Uh, this occasion occurs in, in several of the Gospels. We're going to look at Matthew's accounting of the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem today. So why don't you go ahead and stand with me. Uh, let's read this together. Let's be encouraged by the word and see the royal king entering in to the capital city of Jerusalem. Verse 1 of Matthew chapter 21, it goes like this. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, the Mount of, to Mount, uh, the Mount of Olives, Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what the, was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and, the, and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Pray with me. Lord, oh, to be on the streets of Jerusalem that fateful day. To hear the murmur of the crowd and to see the people of Jerusalem get excited over the prospects of who you were. As you came into the city, mounted humbly on a donkey. Oh, Lord, to, to have seen the scene, to see the people waving the palm branches and throwing their cloaks upon the ground and receiving you as the rightful king. Lord, most that day rejected you. Lord, I pray that we will see you as the true king that you are. That if there be anyone here this day that does not know you, that they would surrender their all to the king of kings and the Lord of lords this day. Show us who you are in this story, we pray. We ask this, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Go ahead and have a seat. We're obviously familiar with the story. We we looked at a, a different gospel's accounting of this last year on this Sunday. It's known as the triumphal entry, and it's the time in which Jesus is entering into Jerusalem 
for the first time as an adult. It's just one week before that very first Easter Sunday. It's really a unique moment in Jesus's life because typically Jesus didn't go about putting on scenes like this. Here we find that he's actually come up with this idea. He's planted, he's put it together, and it's a part of his plan. Because there are many times in Jesus' ministry when he's performed a miracle or he's uh, preached or taught something quite profound that the crowds start gathering around him and he's like, no, 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 let's not talk about me. Let's Let's not spread the news about me. And many times we find him intentionally avoiding public places, but not this time. This time things are different. This time he's entering into Jerusalem, but he's doing so in a a particular way. He's entering in as royalty. You may not notice this at first because it's a, a different culture, a different scene than what we're used to. But what we find in Jesus in the scene that we've just read about, Jesus is entering into the city as king. So why the change? Why is his attitude shifted here and how he's presenting himself? Why now? Well, Jesus' time had come. His time and his life, his ministry, everything was building up to the moments that are going to happen on that fateful Sunday, uh, Friday and on into Sunday morning. His time had come for him to reveal himself. It was time for him to, to put himself at the center of all things and to make himself known broadly. It was time to accomplish what he had come to this earth to accomplish. It was time for him to offer his life as a propitiation for the sins of humanity. But he's going to do so as king. Which, by the way, fits over the, within the overall emphasis of the book of, of Matthew, this gospel of Matthew. You may or may not be aware of this, but we have four gospels. Each of the Gospels telling of the good news of the life of Jesus, his time on earth, his ministry, and what he had accomplished and what he had uh, desired to do upon earth. And if you've ever wondered why there are more than one Gospel, well, each of these Gospels, they share a lot of similarities because they're talking about similar things that had happened to Jesus mostly. But all four Gospels, as they're telling the story of Jesus, each of them are placing a different emphasis upon Jesus's life and ministry. The overall theme of, gospels, of Matthew's gospel is that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, that he is the promised king that was descended from David. And so it's with that theme in mind that I want us to process and think through this passage that is before us as we're seeing the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, that it is that of an entry of a king. It is a kingly processional Of course, this isn't Jesus' first visit into Jerusalem. It is his first visit as an adult. But you remember when he was an infant? He was brought to the temple to be dedicated just a few days after his birth there in Jerusalem. And then he returns again with his parents at the ripe old age of 12. But he never returned after that. So today we're actually considering not the entry of the king, but the return of the king. He's coming back. And I want you to reflect upon that as we consider that Jesus is the King. And for you, you need to ask this question, who is this? The question is posed in the text, who is this? And who is Jesus to you? And do you see him as the King? Ultimately, that's the question I want you to propose to yourself. Is Jesus my King? Is he my Lord? Is he the King of kings and the Lord of lords? And is is he my King of kings? And is he my Lord of lords? Now the first of three things that I want to point out from this text for you is this. 
that as Jesus is entering into, the, into Jerusalem as the king, that he's saying to us that he is the promised king. You'll see this in the instructions that Jesus gives to his disciples to prepare the way for him as he makes his way into the city. And in fact, I want you to take note and, and to make mind of the preparations. Jesus is in his, and his disciples, they're, they're about to approach Jerusalem. They're making their way to, to the city. They've come up upon a small little community on the outskirts of the city, a little small village known as, known as Bethpage. It's on the slopes of the Mount of Olives. And Jesus then sends a couple of his disciples into the city, this village of Bethpage, with this charge. You'll see it in verses 2, 3, and 4. He says to them, go into the village that's in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied, oh, and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Would love to be able to have some need and walk up to someone and say, I need that, and if they give me pushback, to say, well, the Lord needs that. And that's exactly what Jesus is telling his disciples to do. But he's in this preparation of his entry into Jerusalem. Jesus makes reference to a prophecy. We'll read the prophecy in a moment. But there was once a prophecy that comes from the prophet Zechariah regarding what Jesus is about to do. A promise that was made about this future coming Messiah. And now we're going to see how Jesus is actually fulfilling this promise as he begins to make his way into the city. Unless you think that Jesus has contrived this of himself, you need to know that, that Jesus has fulfilled many, many prophecies many times over. Let me just pause and just reference one of those for you, because this is not the only time that a promise was made sometime in the past that Jesus fulfilled with his life and his ministry. One particular promise uh, was in John chapter 8, verses 53 and verse 56. Jesus, in that occasion, was questioned by some Jews. And here was the question, are you greater than our father Abraham who died? When the prophets died, who do you make yourself out to be? Here was Jesus' response. He said this, verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And so Jesus is saying, look, I, I'm the fulfillment of prophecy. I'm not just some upstart teacher, preacher. I am here uh, but, but my forthcoming was foretold bef before. In other words, Abraham was looking forward to his coming. And he made this, God had made this tremendous promise to Abraham a long time ago. It was in Genesis chapter 22, verse 18. And here was the promise that was given to Abraham. God said to Abraham, In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. God had given a promise to Abraham that would ultimately be fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. That all the nations of the earth would be blessed by Abraham's offspring. Well, guess who is a part of, of Abraham's family line? It was Jesus. This is but one of many prophecies that pointed to the fact that there would one day come a Messiah. In fact, it is believed that there are over 300 Old Testament prophecies that pointed uh, to Jesus, that Jesus would be the Messiah, and Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. And so over and over and over again, promises were made, promises were made, all pointing to the coming of the Christ, all pointing to the coming of a warrior king, 
It was the hope of the Old Testament saints. It's our hope today. And so I'm going to tell you very clearly, Jesus is the promised king. He didn't just show up and declare himself king. His coming was foretold of old. But there's more. He is also not only the promised king, he is the rightful king. You know, Matthew Matthew actually quotes the the prophecy from Zechariah. You'll see it there in verse 5 of Matthew 21. Here's Here's the quote of the prophecy. Quoting Zechariah, he said, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Then we're told, verse 6, that the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. I I hope you noticed the the humility of Jesus' entry here. Very specifically, in quoting the prophecy, humble and mounted on a donkey. The word humble here in in this New Testament passage comes from the same Greek word meaning gentle. We talked about that, remember, in our uh, through the Spirit discussion. And if you'll recall our discussion there, that that word that is translated humble here or gentle in other passages is not a word of weakness. And so this doesn't mean that as Jesus was entering into Jerusalem and humble and mounted on a donkey that he was weak. He is still God, which means that he is still powerful. He is still strong. It just means that as Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, he is receiving the attention that he's getting. He's doing so humbly, but he's still coming in as king. And when you read the original prophecy and you compare it to the prophecy as Jesus quotes it here, you'll notice two significant omissions. Let me just read to you Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, which is the origination of this quote. Here's how Zechariah posed his prophecy. He said this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You'll notice that Zechariah's prophecy began with rejoice greatly. But do you notice also, though, that Matthew uh, omits that? Why is that? Maybe it's because as Jesus was approaching the city that he wept. Luke 19 tells us that. I mean, how how could there be rejoicing when, when judgment is looming? Jesus sees the inhabitants of Jerusalem and sees them as children, as wayward children. Matthew also, by the way, omits this phrase, righteous and having salvation. Why do you think he did that? Well, we're not told, but perhaps it's because Jesus' coming into Jerusalem was an act of mercy. It was an act of grace. It wasn't an act of righteous judgment. That's going to come at a later time. And by the way, did you also notice in this particular telling of the story, something we didn't notice in, the, in last year's telling of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem? There are two animals, not one. If I had come before you before this message and asked you, how, what kind of animal or animals did Jesus ride in when he came into Jerusalem? You would have very quickly said a donkey. But did you notice here that another animal is mentioned? The other Gospels, again, only note one, but here we're told that Jesus rode one and the other came alongside. So Jesus probably rode, rode the, the donkey. The colt is coming, uh, probably the mother's coming alongside of it. And I'll say all this to say this too. Don't let all of the details that seem to be popping up in Matthew's gospel overshadow the most important fact of all. 
that what Jesus is doing at this moment, coming in on the back of this donkey, he's coming in and it is a declaration that Jesus is king. This is a declaration of the kingship of Jesus. This is particularly, particularly true when you consider the mode of his transportation. So we may think, you know, compared to a great war stallion, that a donkey is a pretty humble animal for a king to be riding in on. And so his arrival on this donkey is not simply a, a humble act. It's actually a kingly act. Again, we don't know the context because we're so far removed from the culture of that day and the traditions of that day. But in the Jewish community, the donkey was a royal animal. It was the royal animal of Jewish monarchs, especially in times of peace. It would only be in times of war that the king would have ridden on the back of a horse. To have done otherwise would have been improper. And so in times of peace, you ride in on a donkey. So Jesus is choosing his animals wisely. Choosing this donkey to ride into Jerusalem is to do so in a royal manner. This is no accident here. He's making a declaration about himself that he is the king, he is the rightful king, and he is sovereign. If you were to turn over to, to Paul's accounting in 1 Timothy, his letter, 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul makes this statement about Jesus. And he says simply this, that he is he who is the blessed and the only sovereign, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Paul's declaration there is, that, is this, that Jesus is not just a sovereign, he is not just a king. He is the only sovereign. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And that's true, by the way, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. In fact, the day is coming. Well, it, you may not think that he's king today, but the day is coming. One day, be aware that everyone's going to acknowledge him as king. For as Paul will also write in Philippians chapter 2, that one day, at the name of Jesus, Every knee shall bow and every tongue in heaven and uh, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So who is this Jesus? I don't know about you, but to me, he's the rightful king. Here's the third and final point. That even more than him being the promised king and him being the rightful king, and those are equally important truths we have this equally valid truth and that's this that jesus is the victorious king that's how the crowd accepts him welcomes him oh they don't really know what they're doing most of them but look at verse 8 says most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road and the, the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting so you, you'll see this example of them receiving him as king I, I don't know if i would want to take off my clothing something that was very dear to me and throw it out on the streets to welcome a president would you do that you know especially if that president is riding on the back of an animal that tends to leave some droppings behind right <laughs> yet in that culture this was a a very important significant action that they're doing taking off their cloaks and throwing it on the ground was an act of submission and you'll notice them waving the, the branches. These, these are palm branches, but which, by the way, is why we refer to this Sunday as Palm Sunday. 
And so strewing these flowers and branches, that's how conquerors and, and great royalty would have been received when they enter and back into the communities. It was a way of showing honor and showing respect. And believe it or not, we still have some customs in our culture that sort of hint back to these kinds of, of expressions. If you've been to a wedding lately, more than likely some children walked in and threw some petals on the ground in front of the bride as she was walking to the altar. Sometimes we give the red carpet treatment to important people. And so we sort of, you know, roll out that red carpet. This is sort of a similar expression here. And so they are honoring Jesus and receiving Jesus as a significantly important person, as a royal dignitary. Specifically, they're greeting him as a conquering hero. He is the long-awaited Messiah. Now, what they were wanting was a political war to be fought. They wanted a political victory. They were tired of all these, these Romans from the Roman Empire lording over them. Yet take note of what they were shouting in verse 9. We've sung it. We've spoken it together, shouted it out together today. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The word Hosanna explicitly means save us, we pray. And it comes from a famous liturgy that we find in Psalm 118. It goes like this, verses 25-26 of Psalm 119. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. You see, here is yet another promise from the past, from Jesus' past, from the past uh, of Israel pointing to the future Messiah. This is a psalm about the anointed one who would come. And so they are receiving him as the possible Messiah. They're receiving him as, as their national savior, one who would bring them victory. And when they shouted, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they were declaring in him their hope that he was the Messiah. And they were hoping that he would bring restoration for their nation. They would, he would bring victory over their occupiers, that they would have independence as a people. And yet through all of their excitement, they missed the whole point of why Jesus had come to Jerusalem. He didn't come to bring victory to some country. He came to save people. He came to deliver people from their sin. One day, yes, he will return to establish his kingdom, but at this moment in his life, he had come to wage a battle. He first had to win a war. You know, I know it's Easter season, but can we go back to Christmas for just a moment? Just a handful of months ago, as we were journeying through the Advent season, if you'll recall, we, we, our Christmas theme was a little unusual this past Christmas. We called it a declaration of war. Remember that? And the idea behind that whole series is that Christmas wasn't just a standalone event, but it was just one part of a much bigger uh, unfolding of a great battle, a much larger story being told from Genesis, stretching all the way to the book of Revelation, the story of a cosmic battle between, between God and Satan, between Jesus and evil. And here's what that com cosmic battle is all about, that God had created everything with purpose, that is, everything that he created was designed to, to bring glory and honor to God. We as human beings had a special part of creation because we could know God and be known by God and live our lives, every aspect of our lives, to bring Him glory. 
So God had created everything with a purpose, but as we know, as the story begins to unfold, right after creation and after the human beings first began their journey of worship, that Satan entered into the scene, encroaching upon God's kingdom, tempting the first human beings. They sinned against God. Sin entered into the world, and a war began. And since that time to this day and beyond, a war has raged between God and Satan, and all of humanity has been caught up in the midst of it all. And we're no longer born to, uh, we're not only born with this purpose being lived out in us where we worship God and and find our fulfillment in Him, yet we're born separated from Him because of the sin that we're born with. But as we've already talked about in this message, God had a plan and He began to foretell of that plan. And the plan was to send a warrior and that warrior would come and he would strike a death blow to Satan. Well, I'm here to tell you that the man on the donkey riding into Jerusalem isn't just a man. He is the God man and he is also the warrior king who came to save us, to fight for us. He came to lay down his life for the forgiveness of our sin. And when Jesus entered into Jerusalem, he did not come in simply to be humble and to leave. He came to fight a battle and to win the war and to win and bring victory victory. And know this, he willingly entered into Jerusalem. He came in also knowing that it wasn't going to be easy. He came in knowing that he would be falsely accused, that he would be unjustly tried, that he would face the worst kind of beating, being beaten to an inch of his life, and then at the very end of it all, he would be gruesomely executed. And he entered into Jerusalem and did so willingly because he knew that it was necessary to win the war. Jesus, as the warrior king, comes into Jerusalem to die, but also in his death to defeat sin and to make forgiveness possible for you and for I. The question is, is Jesus your king? Sadly, most who entered Jerusalem, or excuse me, who encountered Jesus as he entered Jerusalem that day, they didn't really get this truth. You'll notice in verses 10 and 11 at the end of this portion of Jesus' journey, it says that when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up. So he caused a commotion coming in. But here's what the people in the city were saying. Who is this? Who is this? And the crowd said, As people were coming up, seeing this man coming through like the king, the crowds who were observing said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And so we know that from all of their wonderful praises of Jesus, to them, Jesus wasn't the promised king. He wasn't the rightful king. He wasn't the victorious king. To him, to them, he was just a prophet. A respectable title, yes, but it doesn't come quite close to conveying who he really was. Friends, I'm telling you, as Jesus is entering in, he comes in as king. But even that is just a touch of who he is. I don't know if you know who S.M. Lockeridge is. He's a a pastor who pastored for many, many years, a long time in San Diego, California, at the Calvary Baptist Church known as the Reverend Dr. S.M. Lockeridge. The S.M. stands for Shadrach Meshach. The Reverend Dr. Shadrach Meshach Lockeridge. He was highly involved in the civil rights movement. He's passed away, I think, about 20 or so years ago. 
And, but we mostly know him today by a message that he preached. And it was entitled, Amen. And in it, he talks about King Jesus. And there's no way for me to, to capture his cadence. He was a brilliant preacher and orator. But I, I'm going to read to you his words to the best of my ability. And I just want you to reflect upon Jesus and ask yourself, is this my Jesus? Here's how he preached that faithful message. He said, my king was born king. The Bible says my king is a seven-way king. He's the king of the Jews. That's a racial king. He's the king of Israel. That's a national king. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. Now, that's my king. Well, I wonder, do you know him? Do you know him? Don't try to mislead me. Do you know my king? David said, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament uh, firmament showeth his handiwork. My king is the only one whom there's no means of measure can divine his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope that can bring into visibility the coastline of his shortest supplies. No barrier can hinder him from pouring out his blessings. Well, he's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. That's my king. He is God's son. He's the sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's august and he's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He is preeminent. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He is the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the core and necessity of spiritual religion. That's my king. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. Well, he's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength to the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He's our God, our guard, and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? Well, my king is the key of knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He is the doorway of deliverance. He is the pathway of peace. He is the roadway of righteousness. He is the highway of holiness. He is the gateway of glory. And he is the master of the mighty. He is the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He is the governor of governors. He is the prince of princes. He is the king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. That's my king. Yes, that's my king. Yes, and his office is manifold, he continues. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes, and his word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous, and his yoke is easy. And well, he says this, I wish that I could describe him to you, but he is incomprehensible. He is indescribable. He is invincible. He is irresistible. I'm come to tell you the heaven of heavens cannot contain him, let alone a man explain him. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off of your hand. You cannot outlive him and you can't live without him. 
Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out that they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him, and the witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death could not handle him, and the grave could not hold him. That's my king. Yes. Oh, Lord, one day let me come up with a sermon that gets this <laughs> response. Amen. He wasn't done. Dr. Lockridge said this. That's my king, yeah. He has always been and he will always be. I'm talking about he has no predecessor and he'll have no successor. There was nobody before him and there will be nobody after him. You can't impeach him and he's not going to resign. That's my king. Great is the Lord. That's my king. Church, that's my king. That's my savior. The most important a question for you is, is that your king? Is Jesus Christ your king? Jesus entered into Jerusalem with a purpose and a plan, with a mission. And that mission was to go to, to Golgotha, to Calvary, and to lay down his life upon the cross to save sinners from their sins because they could not save themselves. We have create, been created to know God to worship Him, to be known by Him, to live our very lives for Him, but because of our sin, and yes, you are a sinner. The Bible tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that there is none righteous, no, not one, so the Scriptures say. You and I, we were born separated from a holy God, and we do not have it within ourselves, the ability to make things right between God. We cannot atone for our sin. We cannot work things out so that God will receive us. It's not based upon what we've done, but God did what was necessary. He went to the cross. Jesus went to the cross and He died for you. He died for your sins. The good news is He didn't stay dead. If He had stayed dead, He was just another man with lofty ideals, but He, he went to the tomb and He came back to life three days later. And when that happened... All of humanity changed. All of our, our, our future, potential future changed. Because when Jesus died, was buried, and came back to life, Jesus became not just the promised king and the rightful king, he became the victorious king. He won the battle and made salvation possible for you and for me. Now, I wish to say that this comes upon you and all of you and that everyone now has been forgiven of their sins, but that's not truth. That's not the testimony of Scripture. The testimony of Scripture is this, that all who call upon the name of Jesus will be saved. If we believe upon Him, repenting of our sins and turn to Him, that we will be saved. And so I implore you, not only to say, yes, that's my King, but kneel before your King and surrender your all to Him. Believing upon Him as the warrior King and the one who has come to save and die for you. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you. Oh, we have so much to celebrate this week. 
And Lord, this journey, just as it was last, last year, is going to be a hard journey at times. And we're going to reflect upon the great weight, the great suffering and sacrifice that came upon you. And Lord, as we reflect upon it, we're going to recognize how much our sin cost you. We don't deserve this salvation. We don't deserve forgiveness. We certainly don't deserve a relationship with you. And yet, Lord, you entered into Jerusalem with a mission to make it possible. And so now, Lord, I pray that we as the people of God, as we've bent the knee to the only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that we will then live our lives knowing that we have surrendered our all to you. But Lord, I also pray for anyone here. And Lord, I know there's someone here who does not know you who have yet to submit their, themselves to you. They've yet to seek your forgiveness. They've yet to submit themselves to you as Lord. But Lord, even now, that the weight of the Spirit and the Spirit's conviction will fall upon them. Call them to salvation. Lord, please, Lord, let today be the day that they declare that you are their King. This we ask, we pray in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen.